0: The girls are complicated
1: Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on Youth Ministry. I'm Katie Grubbs, and with me today are Nora Bonner and new panelist Caitlin Witten. Hi, Nora and Caitlin. Hi, Katie. Hi, guys. Um, we're gonna start with uh, introducing those uh, those of us who've been here before, and then we're gonna let Caitlin finish because she's brand new. So um, we wanna find out about her. I'm Katie Grubbs, and I'm a frequent panelist on the Christian Feminist Podcast i'm an adjunct professor of english at houston baptist university in houston texas uh, where i live with my husband david grubbs of the christian humanist podcast and our three children and uh, lately i've been delving into something new which is that i've been creating lots of um, new content and uh, several new online classes for english department at hbu so that's been a whole new world and that's kind of been my uh, big concern this fall Um, nora why don't you tell us about yourself
2: Hi, I'm Nora Bonner. I'm primarily a fiction writer and writing teacher, but right now I'm getting my Ph.D. in creative writing and fiction at Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia. And I've lived in Atlanta for a little over a year. I moved here from Tallahassee, um, and I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. And I guess that's all you need to know about me right now.
1: Thanks. Um, Caitlin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself since you're brand new?
0: Um, My name is Caitlin Witten, and I live in the Houston area also. Um, I'm married to my husband, Jeff, who is the student pastor at our church. And um, currently, I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I get to stay home. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And so the majority of my time is spent with them doing various things. Um, Outside of that, I teach women's Bible study at our church and volunteer in the student ministry ministry. Primarily with high school students, but um, at some point I'm with all of the ages. So,
1: thank you so much. Um, before we get into a little bit more in depth stuff, I just wanted to talk for a minute about why I wanted to talk about youth ministry. Um, we've kind of mentioned and danced around the idea of youth ministry in a lot of our different podcasts, um, if only because I know there's been many times when we've been talking about some other issue, whether it's purity culture or Um, women learning in the church or like in the women's Bible study episode I think we mentioned it and so we've at times some of us have referenced our backgrounds in the church going through youth ministry and um, sometimes frustrations caused by different experiences or things that we might have done differently so I thought it would be great to do um, a whole episode on youth ministry and uh, I asked Caitlin to come participate with us today because she is in the thick of ministering um, to young people, and so is going to have some great perspective for us today. And uh, to, to, to uh, go that direction with personal perspectives, we'd like to start just for a little bit talking about our backgrounds and our history with youth ministry, um, either when we were the age to be in youth ministry um, perhaps, if we had experiences that impacted us or um, at, in our adult lives, if we've served with youth ministry. So we're just going to kind of go around and uh, and let everyone kind of uh, give their two cents and what their experiences have been. And we're going to start with Nora.
2: All right. Well, as I mentioned before, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and I, um, I grew up in a, a small church, a small non-denominational church that sort of followed a Plymouth Brethren model, which means it had a few elders and um, who would rotate when they taught, and there was a, something we called a teen group that I wasn't really that involved in. Um, I became a serious Christian, or you can say I had my, you know, my saved moment when I was about thirteen. So after that, I started going to adult Bible studies. My mother would take me to adult Bible studies. So I always kind of, at least early on in high school, um, I preferred to do the adult Bible studies over the what the teen group did, which I think um, they might have had like a prayer meeting and then would go see movies sometimes or something like that. Um, and I don't know how active it was in my church when I was... Um, you know, what we call like a new believer. Um, later on in high school, I, um, I had my heart broken, <laughs> and I um, I became an even more serious Christian. And um, after that, I kind of sought more, I guess, more different, um, not just Bible studies, but just like youth groups and things. And my uh, one of my best friends had uh, She was really active in her Assembly of God church, so I went to a Pentecostal youth group for about two years off and on, and um, that was a really great experience for me. I like to look back at it, um, and I hope I don't um, ruffle any feathers when I say that. It was a really great model (laughs) for me because I was really emotional, or like had a lot of emotions to deal with, and their worship was just this big sob fest. Like We would all get get on the floor and just cry together and sing. And that was such a great release for me. So I really appreciate, um, and it was just really passionate too. Um, So I really appreciated like the worship aspect of of that youth ministry. I'd never been to anything Pentecostal or had any kind of worship uh, service in my life. So that was a huge um, moment for me. Other than that, I also went to a Bible study that was with a bunch of... um, This one's kind of complicated to talk about, but um, at the end of high school, uh, a friend of mine who was homeschooled, her father got cancer, and they had seven children, and this family had kind of, like, um, removed themselves a little bit from the community, Um, and so her father started going to our church again, and he would bring his older daughters uh with him and because he wanted them to have teenage friends basically or just friends their age so what happened is all these families would get together on a friday night and we would have friday night bible study that was made for was really supposed to be for the teens but all the parents were there too so i've had this kind of wide range of of experiences I, i suppose um, but I never had anything like, um, that will be in the article I will be discussing shortly with, that was like a big pizza party, um, every week. But, um, but yeah, that was pretty much my experience. I feel like, um, my college ministry, uh, this also made me think of college ministry a little bit too. And I th- feel like it kind of bleeds a little bit, um, some of the things that also came up in some of the articles too. So, um, I'm excited to talk about this with you all.
1: Thank you so much um i'll go next and uh i i kind of had a couple of different types of experiences too um not as uh, not as different as as Nora sound like but but there was some variation when i was in middle school we were in uh southern baptist churches and big ones right so i was in big youth groups and um and then right at the end of eighth grade We, my family, my whole family moved from Georgia to Arkansas. My dad got a business transfer. And when we moved to our new city, um, we ended up at a much smaller uh, Bible church. And so it was this transition from a a really big youth group environment to a much smaller youth group environment. And so what Mm -hmm. I got in middle school was lots of big events. Um, I remember lip sync contests. And, um, you know, crazy games. And I feel like probably there were slip and slides. I don't, it's hard to remember. Um, and, you know, also, I, and I, I think I, I also had a lot of emotions as a teenager and, and I was, a, and, and as a, a kid too, I guess, but I was a fairly guilty person. So I do, one other thing I remember about the middle school years is I remember having several occasions when I was, Looking back was probably, we might call it a rededication of my faith in the Baptist church. But I know for sure, at least once when I was 12, um, having experience where I thought I was getting saved for the first time. I'd quote gotten saved at seven. But then in middle school, suddenly thought, oh, no, I repeated a prayer, but they weren't my words. Maybe I'm not really saved because I had this guilty conscience. And so when I was in sixth grade, right after I got into youth group, I had this experience and thought, well, I need to get saved because I don't think I have been this whole time, which looking back is stupid. I I would absolutely knew Jesus. Um, But so I got rebaptized. I did the whole thing. (laughs) Um, That was at the beginning of my youth group years. Um, And... uh, So that was kind of more the environment and then when we moved to arkansas i got into a much smaller youth group and i still mostly remember the fun um maybe that's just because that makes maybe that makes the biggest impression (laughs) on you at the time i mostly remember fun things and i remember going to things like conferences um in particular i remember in, in ninth grade being taken to some kind of winter conference in branson missouri and um josh mcdowell was there speaking and talking about um, his kind of evidence the demands of verdict stuff, basically talking about um, things, things that um, from scripture that we can see verified in other places, either via archaeology or things like that. But I remember that being a big moment for me because no one had ever said anything to me like, hey, um, things that happen in the Bible sometimes get mentioned in other places. Like, I was just told my whole life, you just need to believe this. This is what we believe. This is so believe this. And I did believe it. But um, I remember that being a big deal. But again, my, my youth group as such, the main role that played in it was that they were the ones who took me there, right? Um, so I definitely was not, I didn't have anybody working with my youth group who I was talking through my doubts with um, on a regular basis. I don't remember much, and not to diss my high school youth minister, he was great, um, but I don't remember much. Um, I guess, appeal to the mind. Um, I don't remember being taught deep Bible lessons or um, definitely nothing like systematic theology or anything like that. Um, So that it was a good environment. I had good friends. I felt like it was a positive environment and it was a place where I was being exposed to good influences, but it wasn't necessarily a spiritually nourishing environment and that I was being given lots of meat um, to kind of sink my spiritual teeth into. Though one thing I think that was great um, that... uh, That our high school youth minister did is that when I was a senior in high school, um, he asked myself and another girl at our church who was also a senior. We were good friends, but he basically gave us a, a small group of sixth grade girls and asked us to kind of walk them through a basic Bible study and kind of mentor them. For either a semester or a year I can't remember how long but that was great because it one it gave them a connection with us so it made them feel like they weren't just the bottom of the totem pole nobody cared about them because they were sixth graders but also it was really good for me and the friend who were tasked with these with these young girls um, because it showed that he had trust in us and our spiritual maturity and it also showed it and it gave us the chance to step up but also the chance to take responsibility you know because in some ways I think you never learn something so well as when you're trying to teach it to someone else Right? And so we, I think we absorbed it really well. The one other thing, youth group wise, that was a big part of my kind of teen years was that when we were in Arkansas, I was also part of something called K Life, which listeners may or may not have heard of. Um, and it's a um, kind of a parachurch ministry that came out of Kanakuk camps, um, which are kind of out in that direction in Lake Arkansas and surround. Uh, surrounding area but it was kind of like Young Life in the sense that it is basically kind of a youth group but that's happening independent of any church Um, so we had a K-Life chapter I don't know what you call it branch in our town where we lived and so I would go one night a week like Thursday nights or something and we would have worship and there would be a talk and sometimes there would be silly events there were usually skits, but the thing about that that was really good is that you could be in a small discipleship group through Key Life if you wanted to be, and I, I wanted to be. So I was in a small discipleship group through most of high school with the same girls, and I liked that because that was, because it was not affiliated with any one church, it was broadly ecumenical. So in that group, I, you know, I was Baptist. My best friend who was also in the group, she was Baptist, but went to a, di- or, well, I say I was Baptist. Then I was in a Bible church, right? I'd grown up Baptist. I was in a Bible church. My best friend went to a Baptist church. Another girl in our group was Catholic. Another girl was Episcopal. Um, and I can't remember about the, the rest. Um, but that was really good for me, too, because that was the first time I had close friends who were from other church traditions. And so I was able to learn more, you know, and we can, and, our, and 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 our there was no judgment, right? There was no kind of um We were all wanting to be there together so we could say to our Catholic friend in our small group, what is the deal with confession? Like explain this because we don't get it, you know, stuff like that. So that was a good experience, too, even though it wasn't the youth group in my church. It was something that was helping me to grow spiritually. Um, And because also the women who were leading our group were um, girls who girls, women, women who had finished college and who were full-time interns with K-Life so they were you know two steps as it were ahead of us but still pretty close to our age and so we they were good mentors I guess for us at that point in life but that's kind of all the stuff happening in my past as a grown person I haven't thus far haven't been involved in serving um, with youth ministries but instead of either done little tiny kids or have been teaching adult women's Bible study. So I'll be really interested to hear Caitlin's perspective as someone who's currently serving. So go ahead and and tell us a little bit about your background and your, your present Caitlin. Sure. Um,
0: So I actually became a believer um, right before my freshman year of high school. Um, And before that, my really my only exposure to church or um, like age specific ministries would have been, um, I went to, like a Christian summer camp, um, probably between my fifth and sixth grade year of school. Um, that was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel and it was terrifying. (laughs) The guy was very, um, sort of hellfire and brimstone type. Um, and I just remember thinking that was a lot, (laughs) even as an 11 or 12 year old. Um, but I, continued going to church with the girl who had invited me to go to camp. Um, she was a good friend of mine. Um, and I went with her family. Um, my family wasn't involved in any sort of church. Um, my sister had gone off to college cause she's a good bit older than me and she got really involved with, um, campus crusaders and, um, some different ministries at, um, University of Texas at Austin. And so I was hearing some things from her and I think part of my motivation to go was that my big sister was doing it. Um, but I went through sort of a typical, um, middle school ministry at a church, um, in the Dallas area that was pretty large. There was probably on any given like midweek, activity, there was probably five to 600 middle school students there. So it was a lot. Yeah. Um, It was a lot um, as a brand new person to this whole like church culture um, to sort of take in. And so I think I spent the good part of two years um, just sort of sussing it out and figuring out like, what are all these words these people are using that I've never heard? Because I definitely did not speak um, the Christian culture language at all and um, became a believer right before I started my freshman year of high school um, and stayed in that church um, and went through the student ministry there. Um, And like I said, it was fairly large. And so there was um, quite a few of the big, exciting events. They did a really um, good job of promoting stuff like that. Um, and you know, for outreach to kids in the community that otherwise probably wouldn't have had interest in being there. Um, but as I was thinking about it this week, preparing for this, I was, I was really, um, it was, it was nice to be able to reflect on it because I think they also did just a really good job of, um, even though it was such a large setting connecting us in smaller environments. And so Wednesday was a really big, um, group of people but then sundays would be a little bit smaller and then you would also have um small groups that you would discuss sort of the lessons on sundays with that were led by um either college age students or adults um that were just a couple of stages ahead of us and then there was also a ton of opportunity for one-on-one discipleship or like one adult woman to like two to three um same age girls. Um, and then even providing us with opportunities to, um, kind of like what you were talking about, Katie, to serve kids younger than us. So there was, um, a really big emphasis on leadership training, um, and not just the training, but actually giving us opportunities to use the training. So I did a lot of things like serving at camp for kids younger than us and, um, you know, putting on like, Vacation Bible school for the children's ministry and things like that. Um, and it wasn't just like a, hey, show up and corral these kids. But we had to show up and go through training and know how to teach the gospel to little kids. Um, and so they did. I feel like they did a really great job of that. Um, and even for like later on, um, probably into my like sophomore and junior year, um, when I started to feel um, a vocational calling towards ministry, um there they my student pastor actually at the time it was able to connect me with a program that allowed high school students who felt a calling to ministry to go and receive training for a week um at a seminary and basically audit seminary courses. Um and they paid for us to go to that. Um and so there was a ton of support as far as um discipleship and spiritual development and things like that and Um, and I think that while the Wednesday night setting was probably more, um, fun and interactive and more of like a, a, what's the word, um, seeker friendly environment, there were a ton of environments that were more, um, for a deeper study or more challenging stuff if you were interested in that, um. And then after I graduated high school, I actually went um, overseas and worked with an organization that um, brought student groups overseas. We had a the company I was with had a contract with the Oklahoma Baptist Convention um, and an organization called Texas Super Summer. So we saw anywhere from probably four to five hundred kids over the summer um, in smaller groups, but. Um, so I worked with students in that capacity. And then when I came back from that summer, um, overseas, I actually went on staff at my church in the student ministry, um, in an admin role. And then also as, um, a high school group leader. And so I worked there, um, for a couple of years. And then, um, after I got married, my husband is a full-time student pastor. And so since I've been married, I have, either been serving or working on staff at a church in student ministry with him so we've done um, lots of different things with students um but I think for me it was it was such a formative thing um in my life because I became a believer there that the the pull and the attraction to it is that I can I see the difference it can make um for students to have people that, um, believe that they can do more than just show up and have fun. Um, and so that made such an impact on my life that I think that's part of the reason that I enjoy it so much now.
1: Thank you so much. I think that, uh, it's so interesting how all those different experiences kind of can, can harmonize or play off each other. And then, um, for some people end up coming out in an adult ministry. Um, as we move into our reading section, um, we have two different, two different things we were reading slash listening to this week. And the first article, um, which Nora is going to summarize for us is, um, is about doing youth ministry and, um, kind of what we might call like kind of pizza party, I guess, like Nora said culture. So Nora, why don't you go ahead and give us the rundown on that first article?
2: Alright, um, so this is from ChristianityToday.com, and it's um, part of, it looks like a blog maybe, Christian Bible Studies, um, and it was posted in June 2011, so, um, so it would be interesting um, to hear your perspectives about maybe if youth ministry has, has changed or, you know, if, you know, if the conversation has changed since then, because that was a little bit of a, t- a while ago. But, um, so the title of the article is What Do Teenagers Need From Youth Ministry? And it's by someone named Drew Dick, D- or Dyke, or D-Y-C-K is how you spell his last name. Um, so basically what he says is, uh, he starts the article by explaining that he, um, he was disturbed when he went to a national youth ministry event, it sounded like, and, um, And there was a lot of um, goofy activities, like um, he mentions um, toweling chocolate syrup from his chin, you know, so just like racing eggs, capturing the flag, you know, that kind of thing. So lots of games and activities. Some of them sound kind of um, gross. Um, But then he (laughs) um, he says that during the teaching part, the person who spoke said uh, being a Christian isn't hard you won't lose your friends or be unpopular at school, nothing will change, your life will be the same, just better. So this um, really disturbed the author and um, he kind of says that this, he diagnoses the problem is that youth ministries are heavy on fun, this is a quote, and light on faith. Um, So then he you know he kind of delves into that a little bit more He says that instead of stressing the confirmation of faith, the focus shifted at some point. He kind of looks at a history, a recent history. The focus shifted to attracting more kids to to the ministry, which inevitably involved entertaining them. And I thought uh, I took a moment when he said that and thought about how um, he's really kind of talking about a larger problem that I see in the church, which is kind of more interested in getting building mortgages paid off and getting people to sit down, you know, to become members of the church rather than actually building a community of believers um, together. So that's what I thought. And then, and when he said that, I thought, yeah, that's totally true. That disease probably spread to some youth ministries. Um, just this kind of idea of like, we just need numbers instead of thinking about all of the other things that maybe Jesus would want for us in a church. So then um, he, um, let's see, I I made a lot of notes around here. So (laughs) um, after that, he kind of moves on to talk about how a lot of kids lose their faith uh, after they go to college. And he kind of blames that on the fact that We've he, this is another quote. He says, perhaps we've settled for entertaining rather than developing followers of Christ. So um, again, just he's emphasizing the need for discipleship, not just fun. Um, so then he um, kind of talks about what he I believe he's saying is is what's needed in a youth ministry, which um, and he says, The real problem is when they displace spiritual formation and teaching the Bible um, with when they when they um, displace those with video games and pizza. So that's kind of his problem. Um, So then (laughs) he says that um, I really liked. You know, he kind of looks at it from another angle and mentions the founder of Young Life, Jim Rayburn, says it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. So, um, but he thinks that maybe the, um, that problem of kids being bored at church has been overcorrected. And then he has this cap um, from that section, which he says, in the end, pizza and video games don't transform lives. Young people are transformed by truth clearly present- presented. They're drawn to to a cause. Uh, they're drawn to a to a cause to live or die for. In other words, they want unvarnished gospel. We when we present that gospel with all of its hard demands and radical implications, we will be speaking the language they long to and need to hear. So he's saying that um, he's saying that the the gospel should be more challenging. Uh, for these kids, and if they were being challenged in youth group, perhaps they would hang on to their faith a little bit longer. And if they had a, a stronger um, foundation of um, sp- maybe spiritual education or something like that, so and biblical education. So um, at the very end, he gives an example of you know what what's working in his view of a good um, church uh, youth ministry, and he says that he. Um, that there's some place called Faith Bridge Church in Houston. <laughs> Maybe you know this place. Um, and he says that there, that the student pastor um, is focused on the word and leadership training. So he uses that term leadership training, which I'd like to kind of discuss with you both when we do the discussion. Because um, I have a little bit of a problem with it, but I get it. But I I also think that there's a um, that there's something that we need to think about when we say that. Um, but also he, um, so he says that like they equip the leaders to teach. And um, so they like kind of pick the, well here, this is his description of the, if the ministry that's working is how I interpret this example. Um, the ministry pairs small groups of five to seventeens with adult leaders, and then provides those leaders with intensive training. We equip these leaders to teach, um, says dylan lucas the leader of this group um and the youth pastor can't do it all so um and then he kind of says that they encourage the kids or the yeah the kids when they go to college to get a mentor they give them a starbucks gift card and say spend this on making a spiritual mentor and then um and then if they have heard people have lost their faith then it's good to check up on them so that's kind of, so, you know, basically kind of thinking about the long term of a, of a student's or I, I keep, I think of teenagers as students cause I'm so used to teaching college and I call my college students, teen, um, students, I never call them kids. So it's hard for me to call even teenagers kids these days, but yeah, that's kind of what they are. Um, so he, he's saying like, you know, when we, thinking about the long term, uh, with the youth ministry and building a foundation for a faith that will last longer, which I, I appreciated that. And I think that's a good critique, um, of why the, the, the superficial pizza model might not be perfect. Um, but I, I had, I think I was just kind of in a, um, (laughs) I was kind of like in a oppositional mood when I was reading this or something, um, because there was a few things that I, I wanted to kind of draw out and discuss, um, which is, I think he tries to say that pizza parties aren't the devil, (laughs) you know, I think he tries to say like that, that's not really the problem, but a, a little, I had a little bit of a problem with him making this dichotomy between fun and faith, um. Because when I think about Jesus's ministry, he had a lot of fun. Like he partied a lot so much that other people were looking at Jesus and saying, whoa, he gets to party. Like, why is that? Um, So I don't necessarily I think that maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle of that dichotomy when it comes to what makes a good youth ministry. But um, I also it made me wonder and I'd like to discuss with you both, you know what is the purpose of a youth group? I think is the big question here underneath this, because, um, and again, it, this article seems to establish the idea that it's it's to build a foundation for a life of faith, and I think that's, that's cool. Um, but I also wonder if there's more that a youth group can do besides just indoctrinating somebody into a religion, because I'm wondering if that might be one way that we could look at, um, at some of this terminology. Um, and, um, cause t- I guess I feel like that's kind of a low aim for, for, a, 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 any kind of community of believers. Um, I think that there's, I think that that should be a part of it, but I'd like to also think about other, um, aspects of a youth ministry that, would be important as well as I'm not saying that there should be no indoctrination or no talking about um, about beliefs beliefs, but I think that there might be a bigger picture than that. So that's kind of what I took away from it. Um, I have some ideas about what that might be, but I'd like to hear from you both because I've been talking for a while. So, um, so I guess my first question is, you know, what do you see as the purpose of a of a youth group?
1: Caitlin, you want to go first? Um, yeah, I'll go. That's fine. Um,
0: I think for, um, for my, I guess from my perspective, it would just be that um, there, there's such a developmental difference um, in where um, kids that are in that like adolescent um, teenage phase are that um, I think that the way we approach it is that they're in such a specific stage of life that it's, what we've seen is it's beneficial for them to have an area where um, it's, it is a little bit less somber in some ways, um, but also without, I agree with what you said that I think that those things don't have to be mutually exclusive, that you can have the fun and engaging side of it um, without sacrificing good theology and good foundational teaching. Um, We have seen Um, In churches that that don't necessarily have um, a a specific like age specific ministry, like student ministry, like a student group or anything um, that the students tend to just show up with their families and then sort of flounder um, when their parents have things that do engage them specifically, whether it's women's ministry or men's events or um, adult Bible study, Um, they I I would think um, that as a 15 or 16 year old, I don't know that I would have wanted to engage with women um, that were all so much older than me, Um, but it may, I may have had a better experience if that would have happened um, more often. But I think, I think that it, this article was interesting for me to read because it is sort of cringy um, when this is what you spend your, a lot of your time doing and you're like no no don't just entertain them that's a community center that's not church and so um it was um I think I think that you're right though Nora when you were saying that those two things don't have to be um mutually inclusive that we've I mean we've had a lot of experience and I think have done them fairly well in doing both things so
2: yeah thank Um, you I,
1: I think yeah he he kind of creates this this false dichotomy which and I will say I apologize to our listeners that I that I was not able to find a more timely article because Nora's totally right this one's been around for several years and I do think things even are different now than they were in uh, in 2011 the truth is it was actually it's it's kind of hard to find. Um, it's hard to find articles written about youth ministry that are not written to youth ministers by other youth ministers about how to do youth ministry, if that makes sense. There's lots of stuff out there for, specifically for youth ministers, like here's some ideas you can try, you know. It was difficult to actually find um, people kind of ruminating or, or, or thinking about what is the purpose of youth ministry, like Nora said, or, um, you know, what about the state of youth ministry? It's kind of, it's tough. Um, one thing I was thinking about, um, in response to your question Or what is what is the purpose is that um, I like what Caitlin said about it's a place for them to be with other people at their same stage. And I don't and I definitely don't think it's a good idea for them to be totally sequestered, you know So I think it would be bad, for example, if we had a kid coming to our church who only came to youth Sunday school um, and never stepped foot into the service, for example, and so never heard, the preaching never heard you know was was never involved in worship in any way with anyone who's not a teenager right so i think if, if you if they're kind of ghettoized off in you know in this place where they only ever see other teenagers i don't i don't think that's necessarily great but on the other hand i think there's real value in students in church getting to be with other students because there's not the pressure to be serious to be a grown-up you know, to, to act like a grown up. You know, that there there can be some silliness and there can be some fun and it's a place where you can discuss the things that you're thinking about with other people your age. Um, and I think another real benefit because I know there are some people who are very much like part of the kind of family church movement who really really look down on youth ministry because they they feel like why does my you know why does the kid need to go to youth ministry because the parents should be doing all spiritual training in the home and it's very anti youth ministry but I think a problem with that and one of the great goods of youth ministry um, when it's done right is that students in church get to interact with other grown-ups who aren't their parents who are mature Christians I think that's invaluable for um, students to be able to have other adults in their lives um, because of nothing else, then that gives um, them a chance to see how other Christians live their lives too, because every person is different, right? So if the only Christian adult a student's ever close to is his or her parents, even if his or her parents are great, that student's only getting one view of what it looks like to be a Christian man and woman or whatever. And I think that's particularly true and particularly important for if you have kids coming from um, like single parent homes so that if we have a girl at Grand Parkway who doesn't have a dad in her home at all, or doesn't have a dad who's Christian, but she can come to youth group and there are men who serve in the youth ministry who are mature Christian men, and she's able to see what that even looks like. And the same thing for kids who might not have a, a mom, in the, a Christian mom in the home. So I think it can definitely be a real benefit um, even not just with helping them to connect horizontally with each other with their peer group but also with helping them to connect vertically to some grown-ups in the church who um, are there dedicated to spending time with those students and helping them to grow in a spiritual way and um and i think the reason that it doesn't have to be either or like um, he talked about in the article is because often i think it's both and because students might come for the the pizza and you know uh we used to play blackout Um, in my high school youth group where all the lights would be turned out in our small church and we would um, basically hide and seek in the dark with dark guns in the complete darkness right like (laughs) they might come for the blackout or whatever but but if they are if they're also being spiritually engaged by the things that they're being taught then they might be more likely to sign up to be in a small group or to be discipled and a lot of times I think that's where the deeper learning is going to happen you know Um, and so there's those things are happening at the same time maybe Um, but that's kind of that's kind of how I was thinking. Nora, did you have anything else on that article that you wanted to, to throw in before we move to the next bit?
2: Um. Yeah, I guess I just I had a couple of thoughts about what I thought the article was missing in terms of what I thought maybe a youth group should be. And I feel kind of silly saying this because um, I don't have I actually go to a church where there's very few teenagers. there's a lot of five year olds and under um, but there's hardly any teenagers so it just seems almost silly for me to be but I really enjoyed thinking about this anyway um, but i was I was thinking about you know especially what you're saying about the um both of you are saying about you know the the age specific benefits you know and and the fact that a teenager in america has different problems well you know and i I should say the specific teenagers in your specific community have challenges that um that they that are different than an adult so it's good that they are able to have fellowship together um but i think that um what what i thought was kind of missing was just the idea of Teaching this the kids about what God is like. You know, there's all this talk about in doc, you know, doctrine and and, and and things like that, but I feel like um, it would be nice to, to think about you know, what is what does it look like to reveal God to teenagers. Um, so that would definitely have to do with um, so I, I you know, I think that would be the goal of church and and youth ministry, but in a youth ministry, I would think it would, um, it would mean that you would affirm the kids, um, worth, you know, and we'll talk about that with the next thing, but, you know, knowing that they have a place, uh, to meet together where they are valued and that they are seen as children of God and that they are, um, so in that way, you know, thinking about the outcasts, like creating a place where the outcasts, from cuz there's a lot of kids that are outcasted it <laughs> feel is i think every teenager on some level feels outcasted and so thinking about that and in um and giving them a place to to leave their burdens of being you know and sharing their burdens together so that would mean praying you know um and i'm thinking about like how to make it a fellowship um but a place where they i was thinking like a place where how do you make a a youth ministry where kids can be vulnerable because they're not you know <laughs> like they're really uh, they're kind of like hard asses a little bit you know at that age Definitely. so um, so like you know what does that look like and um and so then i thought back to you know my my experience with the Pentecostals, or um but leaving time in the evening for for personal reflection, prayer, and praying for each other. And, um, I feel like would be so important for teenagers because it's so different than what they experience at school where, you you know, you can't be vulnerable at all, you know, if they go to a certain kind of school, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, so I guess thinking about that, you know, alongside of, I have trouble with the, the leadership, um, Training idea, and part of it is because, and I don't. I hope I don't hurt anyone's feelings here either. But I, um, I went to a my college ministry was was intervarsity Christian Fellowship, and um, and leadership training is the is the core value of of that. You know, um, the the idea is that the when you get when you get to the program or get to the ministry, I felt as though the leadership the current leadership was looking at the group and picking out the leaders and then sending them off to get trained. And, um, so there was just like this automatic hierarchy that happened. Um, and I think that a good youth ministry should really resist that, um, having a heart hierarchy among the kids. I think that a college ministry should too. I think any Christian ministry should resist, you know, like having, um, these are the leaders and, um, with more of an attitude of, like, fellowship and, and looking at, at at the body of Christ the way Paul does, you know, like, you know, what are your strengths and how can we, how can I appreciate you as a child of God and, and, and the way that God has put you in my life? Um, so, I guess just thinking about that, I felt like that was a little bit left out of the conversation or just how do you create a fellowship among teenagers? Um, instead of just giving them information about how to be a believer, you know, how do we encourage them to be brothers and sisters, you know, which I think kind of bleeds into the next topic, but, um, yeah,
1: we can, um, we can, we can go ahead and go there now. And then maybe, um, after we, after we kind of. After I summarize this next this next talk, maybe we can talk about how do, how can you help them be brothers and sisters? Because that's one of the major concerns. Um, the second uh, th- second thing tonight, listeners, that we're going to be talking about is on an article. It's actually a, um, I don't know what we call this a talk, a lecture. I'd probably call it a sermon. I would go as far as to call it a sermon. It's definitely
2: um, a sermon. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that. Yeah, yeah. She, I agree. Brings Very... up the, she teaches the Bible in it and stuff.
1: Yeah. So this is a, a, a sermon, a talk given by Jen Wilkin who we are fangirl over in the past have fangirled over in the past in our women's bible study episode um and uh head of women's bible study at the village church in flower mound texas and this talk is i think from two years ago i think it's 2015 um from the gospel coalition women's conference but um it's not a talk it's called the the title of the talk is our daughter's great worth Um, And it's not about youth ministry as such. It's actually um, the the, the talk was actually targeted towards um, parents, mothers in particular, because it was a women's conference Um, and about it's about raising daughters. But the first time I listened to it, one of the first things I thought was any person who works with young people should listen to this, because I think that some of the things that she says are completely portable, completely transferable to working with young people um not just to being a parent i didn't feel like this was in any way something that um you know uh was something that wouldn't be helpful um working with students and so i'm gonna kind of as best i can this and 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 fair warning listeners this talk's an hour long um so if you do decide we'll put the link in the show notes if you do decide to listen to it be prepared for an hour but it i I feel like it's really worth your time um i'm gonna kind of hit the big ideas and then we'll talk about it so um in the talk, she's again ostensibly talking about how to parent daughters, and she gets to that the kind of nitty-gritty of that in a kind of roundabout way. Um, and the major thesis of the talk is simply that um, raising a daughter should not be viewed as being as something that is being scary um, or something that is um, that is not important because young women have value. And um, the other reason I picked this talk too is because even though right at youth, in youth ministry, you know, we're ministering to both young men and young women, we're the Christian Feminist Podcast. So we're going to focus a little bit on ministering to young women, right? That's that's something that um, is important to us. So um, just some, some of her main points. Um, she starts the talk out by confronting some issues that are kind of present in she says her Christian subculture, which let me back up a second and say, just FYI, listeners, when she talks about that, um, Jen Wilkin is part of a particular group of Christianity that Caitlin and I are both also part of, which would be complementary in Christianity, right? The basic tenets of that are men and women are different and by nature. And there are some areas of life where women need to practice submission. Um, the two main areas are the church and in marriage. Um some people take it further and say all women submit to all men all the time. Um, Jen Wilkin does not believe that <laughs> um, even a little bit, which you'll, you'll be able to tell when you listen to this talk. But um, she starts out basically by saying that um, she feels like that the secular culture at large and the Christian subculture that she was being raised in and that, is, and that she is functioning in now, that they're presenting two different extremes of what a, Christ- or of what a woman should be like. Right. So that on the secular side, it's very much, you know, your little girl should be, you know, want to be a CEO when she's a little girl, like the future she dreams of should be a full time job, professional power, being very much a part of the world. Um, whereas on the flip side, in you know, our particular Christian subculture, the extreme view that's often given is that your daughter should be headed for a life of being a wife and mother. That should be her highest priority. She should want to do those things even while she's a very small child. And this is the view that's happening in the subculture. And she says neither is good. Neither of these extremes or caricatures really is good for young women because there's not one way to be a godly woman. And it's one-dimensional, basically, is what she says. And she she walks through Genesis 2, talking about, um, and one of the major points that she makes is that she said, um, lots of people in the complementarian church read Genesis 2, Adam encountering Eve for the first time, and his elation at seeing her. A lot of complementarians read that as, you know, a two-part thing. One, he's just super psyched because it's a naked woman. In front of him and two that this is some announcement of gender like male and female he created them but she digs in and says okay hold on if you pay attention to the text god's first word on gender is not she says women are from venus men are from mars but rather is adam looking at her and going we're the same she's like me because after he's been confronted with all these other animals that aren't like him, finally here is someone who is like him. And so that the, the, the initial, the main impression is she is the same. We are the same. Um, and she says this should inform the way that we raise girls. And so then I would extend that and say this, this should inform the way we minister to girls in youth group. Um, is that we're all, she says, we're all human. It's very Dorothy Sayers. Like, are women human we're all we're fellow humans um and that so we should um we should be encouraging young people to treat each other as fellow humans not as oh you're fundamentally different from my from me and so we just can't we're never going to see eye to eye um and one of the things that i think is fantastic that she says and i think And Caitlin, I don't know if we talked about this when we talked about this talk before. One of my favorite things that she talks about is that one of the problems with this one-dimensional kind of Christian subculture view of women should just be wives and mothers is, as she says, I was a stay-at-home mom, and it's good work if you can get it, but she says, I'm a child of socioeconomic privilege that I had the choice to do that because that's not a choice available to lots of people and that there needs we need to create a christian culture in which there are multiple ways to be a godly woman because not everyone can do that not everyone can walk that road of you know the perfect christian stay-at-home mom situation and not everybody wants to walk that road and she makes a very good point that um if things like um politics or what's happening in the world are important to us, why would we try to pursue um, lives for our daughters that keep them out of all of those important fields? Which just and it's totally true. If, if it's important to us that certain things happen in our country, we have certain policy goals as Christians, you know, certain parts of Christianity have certain policy goals that are important to them. Why would you then try to make sure that your girls who love Jesus um, are not participating in any of those fields um, with their viewpoints being heard? Um... And uh, she says we need to think bigger than just you need to be a wife and mom. Because as she points out, those are only two of the options. There are many other options that could end up happening for these girls. And if any other anything else other than that happens, and that's the only thing that they've been taught to prepare for, then they're lost. And uh, that made me think Caitlin of, and I wasn't able to be there for it, um, but I know at our church, um, Caitlin and the other people in the youth ministry arranged an amazing event a little while back where they had, kind of a panel um, of all different kinds of women older women from our church some married with children some married no children some unmarried um, some working you know, various jobs but they basically had a panel and um, our girls in our youth ministry could come and ask them questions about their lives and I thought that was fantastic because it was showing them in a really active way there's all kinds of ways to be a godly woman there's not one mold that you need to try to fit yourself into Um, there's different ways to serve God in your life. Um, and, uh, so there's way more of this, but one thing I will say is that, um, I think her biggest point is the point about, um, how it's everything shouldn't be. And this is actually pretty, this is a, this is not, um, this is not a viewpoint that everyone in the complementarian church would love, which is one reason I like it because I think (laughs) it's needed, I think it's needed to be said. Um, which is that (laughs) not everything has to be binary and that it's very important that um that our students one that they um realize that there are other options for them but also that they be taught to see each other as sisters and brothers and not as someone fundamentally different. One of my favorite things that she said is she said something like, we want them to learn, and she's talking about raising your own kids, but I would say in youth ministry too, we want them to learn to, to look at the opposite gendered person in front of them and say, what do I have in common with this fellow human? Not, how could this person potentially hurt me if we end up in a romantic relationship? Like, that you would look at the other person, that a, you know, a young girl in youth ministry would look at a boy you know down the down the aisle from her and not think either only oh my gosh she's so cute or oh my gosh I you know he's so different from me I could never talk to him but instead think I wonder if there's anything we have in common like could we be friends because I think this is one way that um maybe I was you know and I mean I never thought about till now but I think this is one place where we was maybe I was failed a little bit in youth group growing up because I don't ever remember in youth group I remember lots of talk about how we shouldn't have sex I remember lots of talk about, like, relationships and how to have godly rela- romantic relationships. I don't ever remember getting talked to about, here's how you can have godly friendships with people of the opposite gender. Never. Never did anybody ever tell me that. With the result that I got basically almost to, like, I got to, it was, I was in college before I knew how to have totally chill platonic friendships with guys. Because I didn't know, I didn't know how to do that. And uh, and that's one of the thing that Jen talks about a lot. And she has a, some blog post about it, too. But she really pushes hard on the fact that men and women can be friends. She says some people think this is not possible. And she doesn't say this, but I will say it. A lot of people in the complementarian church think this is not possible. Um, she says, I think it is possible. And I'll go further than that and, and say it's necessary for the church to function correctly, for us to be truly viewing each other's brothers and sisters. We have to be able to be friends. And I think, you know, she says we have to teach kids to do this. To be able to be friends. And I think in youth group it's particularly important. Because it's a place where they can try out being friends with the opposite gender. um, And learn how to do that. Um, So yeah. She says. uh, If. uh, Which it's funny. she Wilkin somewhere in the talk says. Don't take the things that I'm saying to mean I'm egalitarian or feminist. Which is funny to me. Because I'm listening and I'm thinking. Except for some of the things that you're saying sound very feminist. And I think you should be okay with that. Um, I guess it depends on her definition of feminist. I think she must be using a a very specific definition that she does not give. Um, But uh, she kind of name checks submission a little bit, but also says, and she's totally right. I think that um, daughters as well as sons need to be, need to learn submission because everyone has to submit to someone in life. And I think she's probably trying to speak to complementarian parents who, who are kind of saying things like, how do I teach my daughter how to be a submissive wife? And she kind of says to that, well, if your daughter can submit to you as her parent or to her teachers at church or school, she can she can practice submission in any area of life. It's not a specific skill set to practice wifely submission. Everyone submits all the time, which is why your sons should learn to do it, too. Um, So, yeah. Um, And I think the kind of takeaways for maybe as how this could apply to youth ministry would be the encouragement of mixed gender friendships, um, the 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 teaching kids to ask the question how can I be friends with this other human person instead of oh my gosh a girl oh my gosh a boy Um, and she even pushes this out too to some relationships with adults like she kind of grouses and complains about the idea of daddy-daughter dating like why does it have to be a date every time you spend time with your daughter like can't you just spend time with her as a person like go to the store or whatever Um, and remembers fondly an uncle who she says treated me as a person not as a girl and so that opened up for her possibilities, made her think of herself in a more confident way. Um, and, uh, and at the end, she also says it's important to, to, to raise young people to be content in whatever situation happens to them. Not passive doormat kind of content, but to prepare, she's specifically talking about young women, but prepare young women for multiple possible futures, not just wives, wives and mothers stuff, and, but also prepare them to be content and faithful in Christ No matter what situation they land in, whether that's single for life and working in a boardroom, whether that is, you know, married with nine babies, like whatever happens to be um, to be content and um, and that we need to also be helping young women fulfill their competencies that God has given them, not trying to put on them the competencies that we think they should have Um, helping them to find their voices so that they can speak up and speak out, which I also really, really liked. Um, And to see them and help help them to see themselves as intellectual beings and as image bearers of Christ. Um, That's kind of the big that's kind of the big stuff. Um, And I I, I did a good bit of of saying just then how I felt about the stuff I was summarizing. So I'm going to pass this off to Nora and Caitlin, because I feel like I've already um, said a good bit. But um, what did you guys think about this particular talk? And do you think do you think the things she's saying can apply readily to youth ministry or not?
0: Yeah. Um, I think, I think it applies a ton to student ministry. Um, and even in, um, recently we, I know I've seen with our students, um, different ways that this, I I listened to the same sermon probably six months or a year ago and thought, oh my gosh, that makes that is, it communicates really clearly some things that I think for my husband and I, like we've both felt um a desire to emphasize for the student ministry um specifically what you were um saying katie about the the male and female relationships within our group of students um and i think it goes back a little bit to what Nora was saying earlier about we're trying to teach these these kids or students or adolescents however you want to refer to them that they are the body of christ and so um to assume that every interaction between um, a girl and a guy is romantically inclined or flirtation or um, that there's some sort of ulterior motive involved with everything um, just sort of creates this culture of, I don't know, silliness around male and female interactions. And I think it does play to the fact that they haven't, like, even into adulthood, that like you haven't been taught how to have. Genuine friendships based off of common interests or experiences or any manner of things. You've just been told that well, if you're a girl and you're talking to a boy more than um, any other person, then you're probably just flirting with him, Um, which I feel like is so uh, demeaning for man for the guys and the girls. Of like, you're the only reason a girl would have a conversation with you is because she's trying to flirt with you as a guy, and then for the teenage girls to say that, well, you clearly couldn't have anything in common with him because you're just interested in flirting. Um, but we see a ton of, um, our students actually, I feel like it's sort of a rarity here. We've done ministry in, since I've been married in three other churches and this, um, our church in Houston feels a little bit unique in this sense, but it's really encouraging. They have some really beautiful friendships across gender lines. Um, We have groups of students that really do just really enjoy being with each other. And there, I mean, there will occasionally be a a guy and a girl that will sort of pair off and start, um, like they'll go on a date or something. But then even in situations where that hasn't worked out, it doesn't result in this like awkwardness where then they're not friends anymore. Um, because I do think they have this sort of foundation of mutual respect for each other, um, which is really encouraging for us as their leaders to say, this is great. Like, you guys are way ahead of the curve. I know for me in high school, I was not that mature about my relationships towards guys at all um, for a number of reasons. But I was mostly a silly flirting girl. Um, and like, I think, I don't know, I just think it's important if we're trying to grow people who are ultimately going to become the church. Um, like they're not, or, I mean, they're a part of the church now, but that they're ultimately going to become the adults in the church. We want them to be able to have fellowship with each other now and have a place to speak into each other's lives and that it doesn't have to be only, um, adults in the student ministry, giving, um, biblical advice and, and, you know, giving opinions about, things going on in each other's lives. We want these students to be the church for each other now. Um, and if we only, if we sequester all the girls to one side and all the boys to one side and say, you know, it's not good for you guys to interact because you're probably just going to flirt with each other and be a distraction or whatever, then I think we're running the risk of them not knowing how to care for each other as a church, especially as they get older. Um, And then the other thing, Katie, when you were talking about the panel that we did this summer, um, I was sort of floored by some of the questions that the girls gave us. um, And I was hesitant a little bit to even be on it um, because I thought these things can go one way or another. Um, When you have a group of teenage girls asking questions, um, I've been on some panels like that before where it's so heavily like them asking questions about dating and boys. And, um, I honestly just get sort of tired talking about that kind of stuff with them because I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like you're 14. I promise you that whoever you're interested in now, you will not be interested in, in five minutes or a year. But, um, these girls are so impressed with them. They were asking such good questions. I mean, we had, um, several about what biblical submission looks like if, um, specifically about, um, you know, does the Bible say that women are supposed to submit to all men or is there only specific men that we're supposed to submit under and questions about what does the Bible say about feminism? Um, is there a difference between what culture says about feminism and what the Bible says about it? So it was really, um, it was a really good night with them. And I was so encouraged walking away that they, I felt like, wow, they're way, Um, more mature than I was, um, at their age and ask some really good questions, hard ones that made several of us on the panel, um, I think sweat a little bit because we were worried we weren't going to have answers that were, um, good enough for them. But I think the whole, the sermon that Jen Wilkin gives, um, I really liked the emphasis she put on, um, when Adam is naming the animals and then he sees Eve and how that's him giving her the name woman is not him asserting his dominance over her the way he was over the animals, but that he's just recognizing the sameness and that his excitement is that he can have community with this person. Um, It um, was, I just thought, a really beautiful picture and she explained it really clearly. Um, I think her reference to the fact that it's not good for man to be alone and how that's not only... Uh, um, talking about marriage, um, that, that, that means in a lot of ways that like for, like for practically for us in student ministry, if we're going to gather students together for, um, like we have a, a group of students that kind of help us come up with, um, it's sort of like a, they give us feedback for stuff and help come up with ideas. And sometimes they'll run, um, different things in the evening for us, or even teach on a Wednesday night. Um, But if if we're going to pull a group of students together and have sort of a think tank with them, like we're not only going to pull from guys, because that wouldn't be a representation of the female perspective at all. And we want to serve them across the board. Um, We want to serve the girls and the guys equally. And so we're not only going to ask for one perspective or the the other, but that um, that it is good and right for... um, girls to be involved in those types of conversations and involved in, um, areas of leadership where, um, I mean, I guess it would depend on your church, but, um, for, for as in a complementarian church, however, um, that whatever the line is that they draw as far as women in leadership, um, but to whatever extent your church would allow that we encourage girls, um, that are interested in serving or leading in those areas that yes, you, go and you do that and let's equip you and help you and do whatever we can to resource you to do that well. Um and I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I re- I have some notes written down about it. Um I think she's I don't know if it was this or if I had read this somewhere else um maybe in one of the articles you were talking about that she wrote. Um but that the cultural mandate in Genesis too, uh, where it says go and subdue the earth and, um, and multiply that it's not only referring to reproduction, but that we kind of see that same language mirrored in the great commission when we're told to go and make disciples and that it's given to both the man and the woman. And so we want to be equipping, um, the girls and the guys in our student ministry to go and make disciples and, um, do those things equally. And that I don't think, specifically in that area, I don't think there needs to be like a difference in how they approach it. Um, we don't need to have girls evangelism training and guys evangelism training. They're equally, um, the same. We just want them to be fluent in the gospel, um, and understand that they can both understand the gospel and it might play out differently in the conversations they have, but that the, the possibilities are, um, kind of endless when it comes to how that applies. But I thought, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed listening to it again, um, especially from the perspective of, um, like, I have a son and a daughter, um, and I just, I really enjoyed her kind of thoughts on if we're, if in our house, if we're raising them to have mutual respect for each other, that will sort of play out in their other relationships as they get older, um, I think I see that already, just with our students, too, when they've been taught at home to have mutual respect for their brother or their sister, that their relationships with people of the opposite gender are, I think, more natural and come with a little bit more ease. Then when you have students that have been taught that, you know, girls and guys can't, you know, intermingle without it being uh, based on them being attracted
1: to them. Thanks. Nora, how about you? What do you think about all this?
2: I really enjoyed her idea of um, teaching the, the young men and women to see each other, you know, outside as having the purpose for sex. You know, I thought that was so great. And, um, and I think that's really different than a lot of the messages that I got when I was a teenager. There's a lot of emphasis, especially in that, the, the group I talked about with the parents there, which made it even weirder, but like, there's a lot of emphasis on modesty and, um, you know, things that we've talked about on this podcast, um, making women responsible for men's purity and things like that. Um, and so the idea that a, um, that a youth minister would have that in mind going in, that we're gonna, um, we're going to teach these kids how to be friends, is really encouraging to me. Um, I guess I feel like I get kind of sad when I, (laughs) when I think about the way, um, the way that so many youth um Ministries do focus on on sex and um, because I think that the the kids are really being shortchanged of what the gospel is. You know, I there's very few sermons about that f- that come from Jesus, you know, I mean, they're not totally absent, but I feel like it's important in any ministry to, to really look at Jesus's ministry and 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 make sure that what you're teaching is similar. Um, same ratios. Um, And there's so much that is so valuable to a teenager or anybody, but a teenager about, you know, um, trusting God and knowing that, you know, you can seek God. You know, one of the things that Jesus says is ask and and it shall be given unto you. I mean, to be able to have an opportunity to tell teenagers that there is a God who Loves them so much that that he died for them and wants nothing but their good in the world because they're valued. Um, to me, that's the only message, or it's not the only message. But if that's not the first message, then what's what what is everything else worth? Um, so I guess that's what I'm thinking. So just listening to her, I was just thinking like, um, I agree. I I just. I think that we're looking at the when we're thinking about ministry, I think that a lot of times we forget about about the the root of what what we believe, which is God's love for us and how he we reveal that love to each other and um, but I'm also thinking on the other hand, you know remembering. You know, being a teenager and just wanting to make out with people all the time. You know, so like yeah, there yeah. is that. You yeah, know? definitely. But I don't think you know, and that's real. And I don't think that that, but you know, but what is the gospel? So I guess what I'm thinking, you know, is what is the gospel for a teenager? Well, the gospel is yes, you want to make out with people all the time, but even then, God has your best interests at heart. You know, like. Um, you know, and I don't, I feel like that has to be brought up second, you know, number one is that you are valued and that, you know, and that you, you can't settle for any man who, or, you know, or woman who would value you, um, who would compensate your value or somehow, um, for sex, you know, but, but the reason is because of, because of our value in God, you know it's, um, and so I I think that that really has to be emphasized on all levels of ministry. But um, hey, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm not again like I don't have a lot of experience with youth ministry, but I did actually. I forgot I did for a couple years. I did teach um, uh, the the teens at Sunday school when I was a college student. Um, And what I remember I wanted them to to know is that they, that God is involved in their lives, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like if they're busy and they feel like they can't do their whole day, you know, they can pray and ask God for peace and strength and the same things that we pray now, you know, um, when we have our Our workloads or something, but that starts with them now. You know, in the in their position, like you have a relationship with God. God is never going to abandon you, even if you do end up making out with that person over there. God will never abandon you. Um, I think that's really important because I, you know, what I took, I think, and and Katie, you mentioned some guilt, um, but I think that that the what is sacrificed is a woman's confidence a lot of times <laughs> and also just having to deal with the guilt of, of thinking that, um, we blew it, you know, or like that somehow we can blow it when it comes to God, because he has, <laughs> he has solved that for us. I mean, and I think that that's something that gets left out a lot of times and <laughs> because we're so, and, and I loved when, uh, in the speech when she was talking about fear, you know, that really resonated because I was so afraid of messing up as a woman (laughs) when I was, and I was so, um, thinking about being a teenager. I was so, I just wanted to get it right. That's why I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I just wanted to do the thing that was going to make my life correct. I wanted to do the right thing. Um, and, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but I also think that, um, but there's more to God than that, (laughs) you know, and I hope that whatever, um, whatever the kids are learning in youth ministry, it is that they, that God is abundant and vibrant in their lives and that he has, um, that the people in the, in the room with them are valuable too and that um, he put them in that room with them so they can en- enjoy his love, you know, which is different than making out with somebody, <laughs> you know? So making that distinction, I think, would be really great. <laughs> Hopefully I'm coherent,
1: you know. No, I love what you're saying about the gospel focus, Nora, because I think that a lot of that um, – I think a lot of that – purity driven stuff and like the 90s early 2000s that a lot of us got coming up through youth group and a lot of that stuff it is it's very fear driven like jen was talking about you know they're trying i think there was a you know i think it's parents and, and, and in some cases youth leaders trying to help us not mess up but the problem with that is that for a lot of teenagers you know maybe particularly the guilty ones that i don't know like me A teenager's not always going to hear that as, I'm trying to help you avoid temptation so you don't have regrets, but rather, everything you want to do makes you a terrible person. (laughs) Like, you know, I just remember coming up in youth group and being told, boys are going to want to have sex, but don't do it. You don't have to do it. Like, you don't have to say yes to that. Nobody ever said, you're going to want to have sex, but maybe don't do that. And here's why, right? And and definitely nobody ever said, but if you do, Jesus forgives that. Like, so I see what you're saying. I think you're right. There's there's definitely, I think, that, that the kind of, in, out of a good desire to help teenagers avoid things like sexual sin, it can slip into this place where it's made all about behavior and doing the right behaviors, doing the right things, which can slip into a very works-based place rather than, you know, at least rather than keeping the kernel, keeping the, the, the center of everything, the gospel, right? Jesus died for you. And for your sins, whatever you've done, whatever, you know, and um, I think that that is so important because particularly if you have, I was going to say particularly young people who didn't come up in the church, but a lot of times, sadly, young people who did come up in the church, a lot of times you, you would probably have kids in youth group who don't, they don't know the gospel, whether they've been in church or not, either they've never been in church or they've come up in church and got a false gospel either because of the way it was preached to them or the way they heard it and understood it, or, you know, for a lot of students, I think um, they can, who are raised in church, they can get screwed up um, on the gospel if they're hearing one thing preached at church, but their parents act differently at home. Um, You know, I think that there are all kinds of ways a student can be in high school and really never have heard the gospel, even if that student did grow up in church. And so I do think you're totally right that a gospel centered youth ministry is is so important that 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 the main thing that they're getting is the gospel you know and and i think that's also a way of pushing away the fear too because if, if there's this fear-based emphasis on behavior i think that can just go awry and push kids away young people away but if there's a constant emphasis on the gospel and if your students are genuinely absorbing the gospel and accepting it the bible tells us that if they have true faith if we, when we have true faith we do produce fruit so if you have these, these young people in youth group who are, who are hearing the gospel all the time, believing that Jesus loves them and that he died for them and they need to, you know, that they need to get right with him, if those things are happening and those, you have young people coming to true faith, then those, that, that fruit that, that you know, older people are wanting them to bear, that's going to happen because they're going to be being progressively sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible promises us this. And so it's almost like getting it backwards, I guess to focus on the behavior. I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, Caitlin? Yeah, I was just
0: thinking, um, that it's interesting to me. And I think, I mean, obviously I have one perspective of it because I've been doing student ministry with my husband for close to 10 years now, but, um, he is very much, um, not the, like we actively fight against the behavior modification gospel. (laughs) We, um, because we see so much of that already, um, in our students that, Um, especially, um, where we're at now, we have a lot of very academically driven students, but they can sometimes shift to the point of becoming so obsessed with performance that it sort of trickles into their, um, influences the way they perceive their faith. And so, um, I was thinking back to, I think it was last, it was probably last fall, um, he did, it was basically a systematic theology breakdown, um, but each week he just sort of went through a different um, part of Grudem systematic theology in a language that high school and middle school students would understand. But one of the weeks was the Imago Day, um, and like went into all of the implications of the fact that if we all bear the image of God, then we all have equal dignity and value um, and calling and all of those things. And I think that I, I can't, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think that it, um, when you sort of don't emphasize all of the, um, purity culture and, um, focus on all the things that God says you're not supposed to do. And like, not that we shy away from what God, um, commands of us, but that rather than presenting them with, um, a list of rules. We present them with the gospel because God's love for us is never restrictive. It's only restorative, and we want them to experience that restoration. We don't ever want them to be presented with, "Well, now you're a Christian, so here's all the things you can't do," um, because, well, no thanks, man. But um, and also, that's not the heart or character of the God that we are proclaiming. The God that we are sharing with them is setting them free from things. He's not binding them up. And so um, I, I do think it's really interesting when I've been in settings where there is more of an emphasis on this week, we're going to talk about how you should and shouldn't be dating versus um, more of a focus on this is what the gospel says about how we um, deal with our sexuality. Um, or this is what the gospel says about how you walk through life in general or with anxiety or all of these things, instead of yelling things at them about, do not fear. Let's talk about how we have a God that we can trust. Um, because that's going to resonate with them way more than another thing that, oh no, now I'm worried because I'm worrying. Because um, I I mean, especially now um, there's such a rise in anxiety for students that if I, I would just fear that if we, leaned, um, any more into behavior modification, it's just going to produce, um, anxiety disorders in them. It's not going to produce any sort of saving faith or, um, you know, sanctification at all. Um, but I, I just, I don't know, it's, it's equally encouraging and discouraging to think through this stuff because it is, um, they are, I think sometimes students get shortchanged that they can't, you know, that, well, you can't do systematic theology with students because they won't be entertained enough to sit there or they won't get it. Um, But when you break it down in a way that they can understand and they see, oh, well, the gospel does apply to my day-to-day life, like what you were saying, Nora, that, um, you know, when I am incredibly stressed out and I do have a million things on my plate, that that matters to God because um, he created me and loves me and is pursuing me. And, um, that when my family is a disaster, I have a God who sees and empathizes with me. Um, and when I, you know, and specifically like what we were talking about with the male and female relationships, when I have, um, an interest in a guy or a girl, um, that, that I need to process that through the gospel, not just through my teenage hormones and attraction. Um, and so I think I agree if we start with the foundation of the gospel and teach them primarily that, then those other things sort of naturally happen.
1: We're going to go ahead and listeners move into passing on because I know we've, we've talked for a long time, but hopefully this has been um, interesting for you and uh, maybe spark some thoughts about, about youth ministry. Um, so we're going to move into passing on now. We're each going to recommend something um, that listeners might be interested in this week. And uh, we're going to start with Nora.
2: Okay, um, my recommendation is might seem kind of weird, so I'll, I'll explain. But um, I'm going to recommend C.S. Lewis's anthology of George MacDonald Quotes. It's called George MacDonald 365, and C.S. Lewis is the author. Um, I found that book to—I I actually read it a little later than being a teenager, but there's a lot of the way that um, George MacDonald articulates God's love— and value for um, for us that I wish that I had been taught as a teenager. <laughs> so, um, so I just recommend it. I recommend it for everyone. Um, anyone, especially who's been burned by um, wondering if, or you know, who has guilt, I guess um, would be it would be a good one. But there's just you know, he sees God as this. Cons- he says God is a consuming fire, which sounds violent, but um, but the idea is that God kind of, um, that he burns, his love burns through us so much that, um, that we would not, um, that our sin would never defeat us, I guess is kind of the idea, (laughs) but, um, I really loved a lot of what he says in that, um, and it just kind of helped me to see God's heart in a way that I, I had never been exposed to before, so George MacDonald, 365 thanks.
0: Caitlin, how about you? Um, So the thing I'm recommending is an article from a website called For the Church. It's called Stop Saying Students Are the Future of the Church. Um, It's written by um, a guy named Jared Bumpers, um, and it's from 2015, but I think it's really relevant because I think this is, especially in student ministry circles, this is something that kind of gets thrown around a lot of, like, we want to encourage them because they're the future of our church, and we need to invest in the future of the church, and I think, and he points this out that I think it's trying to, um, you know, acknowledge their value. Um, but it, I agree with what he's saying that it sort of grinds, um, against the actual intent because, um, they're not the future of the church. They are in fact, part of the church now. Um, and so we need to not just encourage them to like, hoard up all of their gifts until they're the adults in the church. Um, But that to encourage them that you're you're an active part of the body of Christ at any age. Um, But as students, you have a myriad of ways that you can serve and edify the body. And so we want to push them in. If there are students who are gifted in whatever area, um, I mean, practically thinking through for some of our students, we have um, several who play multiple instruments and so providing opportunities for them to not just serve on like the student worship band but to also um, connect them with our worship pastors and get them um, opportunities to serve on a Sunday morning in front of the whole body um, and not just push them towards um, you know only serving um, younger kids in student ministry but is you know we had some students show up and serve um, breakfast to the, it's like a ministry for ladies that are 50 and older. And one of the things that they did was help serve the food to those ladies. And so just anything that a particular student would feel inclined, um, to participate in, is there a way that you can bless the body of Christ as a whole and not just wait until you're, um, a quote unquote grown up to serve? Um, I thought it was a really, it's a pretty short article, but I thought it was really good. Um, and that's, um, a particular it's a point of interest for Jack and I because we um, tend to get irritated with people when they treat student ministry like it's a holding tank for the noisy ones until they um, are old enough to behave nicely
1: <laughs> yeah um, and I, I I love that too I love too thinking about like um, encouraging you know boys and girls to serve and not necessarily in stereotypical ways one of the things I love about our church too that Keelan didn't mention is that um I will frequently see not just young women, youth group age young women, but also um, youth group age young men serving in children's ministry, which you almost never see. Um, and, you know, every time I walk into my daughter's, you know, she's five, I'll walk into her classroom. And a lot of times, um, you know, helping in there in the 830 service will be the son of uh, my husband's Sunday school teacher. He's a high school guy and he's in there helping take care of five year olds. And I love that because that means they get to spend time not just with older girls, but also with guys who are older, and that's another way for them to learn how to be friends, cross-gender friends. So um, my recommendation tonight is an article, it's actually, it's from the Life Teen website, which is um, centering around Catholic youth ministry. Um, Obviously, I'm Protestant, but um, I think that the things in this article could be applied in any kind of church, not just a Catholic church. But um, it's an article written by um, Sarah LeClaire. It's called Practical Tips, Ministering to Teens on the Autism Spectrum. Um, And this is a, this is a heart, uh, you know, a kind of a, not a heart issue because I'm not there yet. But this is something that's interesting to me because one of my children is on the the autism spectrum, my middle kid. Um, He just turned three. We're a long way from youth ministry. But when I, um, when I found this article, it was so interesting to me because it was something I hadn't thought about yet. I hadn't thought what are going to be his needs when he gets there. You know and we don't necessarily know right we don't know how he's gonna develop but it's something that I haven't read much about I haven't heard much about and so in the article LeClaire gives um, and it is I mean that the the headline is completely accurate it's very practical stuff about what are specific needs that, that teenagers on the spectrum might have um, and what are ways that those can be addressed in practical ways and so she talks about things like um, for some kids on the spectrum there's a there's an intense need for sameness and so if the schedule is going to be different that Wednesday night, you might just be shaking it up because, you know, you think it's good to keep things novel for everybody else there. But for that kid, it might be a huge problem, right, that, that it's not the expected um, kind of um, order. And so she talks about things like having a visual schedule can be really helpful, giving ways for a student on the spectrum who might need some kind of tactile input or um, sensory input, um, having things for them to, you know, fidget with. Or um, a place they can withdraw if they just can't. If it's just too much noise, you know. And I and I think this is really it's really a, a great idea to think through some of these things because in some ways, and again, we say this all the time. Um, you know, my sense therapists say this all the time, but it's totally true. If you've met one person on the autism spectrum, you've met one person on the autism spectrum, right? Everyone's different. And um, but one thing that that can be true is that for a lot of people on the spectrum. Um, loud noises and chaos is not great. And that's in some ways the definition of youth group, right? (laughs) Um, It it probably is really difficult for some students on the spectrum to even go to youth group. And so the idea that you would have an article like this where there are specific um, ideas about ways to help students like that feel comfortable enough to be there, to make friends, to be a part of the group and not be an outsider, like we were talking about earlier, is huge. So I would really recommend this. if any listeners have students who are have special needs or anyone, any listeners who maybe are working in youth ministry, um, it's really great, very practical, lots of lists. Um, there are pictures. It's great. And we'll, we're will we going to link to all of these things on, our, on uh, in the show notes as always, listeners. So thank you for hanging with us. This has been a, a longish episode, but we hope you've enjoyed um, this list or sorry, this discussion of youth ministry. Um, thank you so much for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We love to hear from you. So if you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows or if you just want to drop us a line or interact with us about this episode, about the things we talked about, you can do that at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. We love that. Um, And if you're not a fan of the Facebook page, um, uh, like our page and you'll get updates when we post new episodes. Um, For show notes for this and other episodes, you can check out christianhumanist.org. Uh, Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network. Kristen Philippic is our publishing liaison, and Elizabeth Bremner is our intern. For Nora Bonner and Caitlin Witten, I'm Katie Grubbs. Uh, tune back in in January after the holidays for an episode on the Me Too and Church Two movements. And until then, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things love.